1: Blog Talk Radio Reality Radio Entertainment presents Behind the Curtain With your host, Kathy Barrett
0: Welcome to Behind the Curtain, the show about how we navigate down the not-so-yellow brick road of life. I'm Kathy Barrett, and I hope you'll spend the next 30 minutes with me as I reveal what's behind the curtain. First of all, three amazing women are celebrating a birthday that I would like to announce. Anne Burgon, the incredible painter out of Seattle, Washington, that everyone seems to be talking about these days, uh, is uh, having a birthday today. So check out her work at anneburgon.blogspot.com. Fran Fermaint is a champion of people living with disabilities, and she is also someone whose spirit I really admire. Fran is also celebrating today, and Pat McMurray, who is the Director of Administration for Senator Patty Ritchie, and also happens to be my amazing sister, who I am so very proud of the work that she does. And all of these ladies, I wish them a fantastic birthday celebration and so grateful uh, for the fact that they were born. Today, our show is about dream makers, and our guest is Michelle Hunt, the author of Dream Makers: Putting Vision and Values to Work. Michelle is a leadership change catalyst, and we're going to be speaking to her in a minute about her life and career and what it takes to become a dream maker. But before we bring Michelle on, I want you to all reserve May 6th in your calendars for an amazing afternoon with spiritual leader Dottie Janki. She will be appearing at Town Hall in New York City. It's a free event, and it's going to begin at 2 p.m. So for more information, call 516-773-0971 or 212 564 three three five. Now Mother's Day is coming up. We got have several weeks to plan to get the perfect gift. But think about giving your mom a very unique gift this year, one that she will always remember. Make a donation to the Orphan Support League. It's just for just six dollars you can feed a child for a week, which I find amazing eighty dollars will enable a child to attend high school and five hundred dollars will support the children's home for a month now you can donate whatever you have any kind of change everything is welcome and you can do that by going to JustGive.com or go to the org. I know Bryony Backs. Uh, she was a guest on the program a few weeks ago. And every single penny that is donated to this organization goes directly to the children. There is no um, uh, staff that is paid for. There is no advertising dollars. None of that. Every single cent goes to those children directly. And other than Oprah Winfrey and Bryony Bax, I don't know too many other organizations that work in that way. So please consider that for your Mother's Day gifts. Michelle Hunt and her work is all about leadership, organizational transformation. Michelle works with corporations, nonprofits, communities, and governments to mobilize their people to achieve higher levels of participation, teamwork, and performance. Ms. Hunt has served on President Clinton's transition team in 1992, and in 93, she was appointed by President Clinton to serve as Executive Director of the Federal Quality Institute. Michelle was formerly also on the top management team at Herman Miller as Corporate Vice President for People and Quality. She is the author of Dreammakers, the book, Putting Vision and Values to Work, and she's also a very in-demand public speaker. You can learn more about Michelle Hunt and the work that she does by going to michellehuntsite.com, and that's dot ecom Welcome, Michelle, and thank you so much for being with us today. Well,
1: thank you. It's my pleasure.
0: Well, that is some amazing resume you have there. I'm just blown away by the work that you do. But for the listeners out there, could you describe what a change catalyst is and, and what is it that you specifically do?
1: Well, when I launched my business in '95, I I decided not to call myself a consultant. uh, And that was quite intentional because consultants come to organizations with the answers. And my point of view and my core beliefs are that the answers lie within people. Mm. And basically our job is to uh, uh, unfreeze the barriers or remove the barriers so that the people can individually and collectively collectively, uh, discover their dreams, their talents, and put them to work against uh, an organization's goal, uh, their vision, and their values. So my work is I start working with the leadership teams to help them clarify and come to shared interpretation and shared understanding of their vision, That's what's their picture of success look like, where are they going. It's their north star, Mm -hmm. uh, so that as they navigate, they all know where they're going. We have to be very clear about what that is, what their core values are, uh, so that as they navigate, uh, they don't harm the environment, the people, communities, uh, the customers, whatever. And so the values serve as their rudder. And then once the leadership team gets that clear, then it's important that every team in the organization go through that same process. And then the work is alignment. So it's vision, shared vision, shared values, and then everyone being liberated to help make the change necessary to align everything in the organization or the community or the nonprofit um, Align everything with the the vision, values, and uh, and goals. So it's it's um, getting everybody working together in collaboration and removing the barriers and uh you know allowing the human spirit to soar.
0: And what is the most challenging aspect you find uh, in working with uh, corporations in particular regarding yeah. that? Um,
1: the, the the number one thing is if the CEO if the leader is not on board then that's a challenge that cannot be overcome.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the the now you can't make judgment initially because it's not until you engage in deep dialogue with that individual uh, will you discover that possibly deep inside they really do want to create a place of purpose and they want to create sustainable value, which uh we define as doing good and doing well. And so the biggest challenge is is, um, is getting them to realize the power of shared vision and values and the power that they have with the collection of people, the you know, the, the, the collective genius that's right there wanting to contribute their gifts. But once 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 they get a taste of it, they saw.
0: I can see that. And, you know, it's really interesting. I was watching um, a pilot the other day, someone who's looking for distribution for a show, a television show. And as part of this uh, show, they it, it's a show about um, a headhunter kind of coaching people around getting jobs. And one of the uh, the people that was on the show was having difficulty and he was a veteran. And so they were mentioning that there are certain very specific corporations that work to hire veterans that want to, you know, be that kind of company that uh, anyone who has served in the military can can go to. And, you know, I didn't realize that they were out there myself. And when I saw what this company company did, and it happened to be Travelers Insurance, I I oh, yes. said, okay, I'm switching my policy. I mean, Absolutely. you know, so it's it's not just. I mean, you can see the the value that's there because it, it, a company could become even extremely much more profitable if they are doing good work like that. Because I I really feel I know I had a connection to it, and I'm sure, you know, many other people feel the same way, and that's why they would go to that particular company and give them the business.
1: Oh, exactly. I I was I was blessed to. Um, have worked at Herman Miller, and, and if you notice, my title was Vice President for People. Mm. I did not select that title next to create the CEO did, and so um, my 13 years at Herman Miller, uh, was a—I was a phenomenal student of the, what is possible when people mobilize around a compelling shared vision and shared values, and the people are liberated to contribute their gifts. Uh, we got in trouble as a, as a company um, after well, 17 years of continuous success, being a leader in our field. Herman I Miller made makes global office furniture. Um, it's a Fortune 500 company, and we became arrogant and, uh, and complacent. And as the world changed, we hadn't changed with it. We had grown phenomenally, but we had not institutionalized our values. And when we were small. We could pass on our values through tribal stories, through relationships, but now we were—we had gotten to the point where we were big and complex, and we had brought people from all over the world to work with us, and they brought their own vision and values. So everything began to break apart, and um, and we were within a year of probably uh, losing it. The hmm. next tree called for a, a renewal, and when i say renewal he called for a whole company transformation and and what we did is he asked the one question what is your vision for the company in three years and we started with us on the on the top management team and we just came back with numbers (laughs) but he said okay that's a good start find a way to bounce that through every team in the organization worldwide and and um and we did and what they told us is they want want to be um, they want to to be a reference point for excellence by any measure. Mm. And so we did the same thing with the, the values because he asked what values would we have to embrace and institutionalize in our organization. And they came up with certain values and those values refl- included some uh things like family, social and environmental responsibility you know, it well financial soundness was the last that uh, valued, believing that if we did all the other the other things like participation and teamwork, value and uniqueness, becoming a learning organization, um, family, social and environmental responsibility, and then financial soundness would be uh the result. Well within eighteen months we became the best company in America, well, the third best company in America to work for, the most admired company by Fortune, we held seven years in a row, the best company for women, the best company for working mothers, the best managed company in the world by the Bertelsmann Foundation, the most environmentally responsible corporation by Fortune and the White House. We, we had double-digit growth again and two stock splits in three years, and most importantly, we we collectively created a high-energy, spirited, uh, committed community of people. Uh, It was palpable anywhere you went in the world. People were proud of our terminal. So that's really kind of the place where I solidified my belief in these values.
0: Well, you saw them work. I mean, in, I mean, eighteen months—that's really extraordinary to go from, you know, the bottom, you know, to to just uh, go through the roof in in that short amount of time. That must have really been an extraordinary um, place to be in and experience what was happening. I can see it. Oh, it was the, my my Camelot. Yes. <laughs> <on. laughs> So what were, I mean, that was kind of their defining moment when the CEO had the vision to say, okay, I'm going to lose all of this. And something that you said before about becoming complacent, which I think is really good lesson for all of us out there when we start to believe our own press about whatever it is we're involved in, that's usually a death sentence. So. Yeah. What what? Uh, but the fact that he had that vision to open it up and, and let everybody speak and tap into everybody's creativity, so you really do feel like you're a unit moving forward and not just one person carrying it on their shoulders alone. Um, what were some of the defining moments in your life that contributed to you wanting to be a leadership change catalyst? Um, well, it's,
1: it's- been the journey of my life. I mean, and Miller solidified our organization organizations, those core values and, and 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 my vision for myself and the world. But I've been a student of dream makers all my life. My my parents are phenomenal dream makers. Uh, they both come from uh, poverty in the inner city of Detroit uh, and and unstable home environments. My mother's mother. Mother died when she was six, and her father, um, uh, taking in laundry, she, and she witnessed her down in hemorrhage to death. Uh-huh. Um, and the father deserted them, them and so she, um, she basically became her sibling's protector and defender <laughs> and, and, and fought hard all those years to keep them together. And my dad comes from one of 14 kids. From the inner city of Detroit, era, in extreme poverty, uh, and not a very positive home environment um, beyond the economics. Um, but when they married, they made they consciously made the decision to create a vision of the life they wanted and the family they wanted to live. Uh, and they literally wrote it down. They they wrote wrote down the uh, the core values. That they wanted to uh, navigate their lives, and so <laughs> um, this is this is from where I come, and um, I've seen I, I've never seen them violate their core values, and in spite of the phenomenal challenges we had, because um, my, my dad was in the Air Force, and his job was to help desegregate the social side of military bases. Um, so, uh, we were often the only black family on base, so it was quite a challenge.
0: Yeah,
1: um, quite a challenge. Uh, but you know, being guided by by these two phenomenal dream makers um, was a gift, um, and so the final moments. The first one was when I was six. When, he, when my dad told us about the time that he had, um, my brothers and i we were six, seven, and eight—and I he, think he thought we were old enough to be told a story that was his defining moment. And that was when he, um, uh, the chow hall, the, the cafeteria on base, had been segregated, uh, and at the end of the meal, my father was moved to go stand on the white table and give a speech on bread. First. Uh obviously they didn't appreciate that he was thrown in jail, uh yeah. on bread and water for five days. However, everyone that came to see him was moved by um by his spirit. By his spirit because he was so humble, you know, he meditated the whole time which which put him in a peaceful place. Um and when when he got out, uh the chaplain and the commander uh and things that happened in Washington, so his, that's when he had his job uh assigned to help desegregate military bases. And that was a defining moment because as my father told the story, he caught, he wept and mm-hmm. I mean he's six foot four and he, and he wept to the to the point where he was on his knees. And I'll never forget him looking up and he says, but don't you ever hate. Love is the answer. Wow. Uh, so that that was, you know, that will stay with you forever. Absolutely. And, and and I think the second one that really was more personal to me was uh, the fifth grade. Um, we, lit, we were stationed on Fort Campbell, Kentucky, uh, Fort Campbell, um military installation and I was the only black in in my class of course we had the fifth grade play and it was a spring play and they brought all the fifth grade classes together in the gymnasium (laughs) and and it was just I was so excited I'm ham anyway so I I was just praying I'd get a part in the play and so I was thrilled when she pointed to me way up I, I sat way up at the top and she said Michelle Here's your part. And she started singing. Cotton needs a picking hmm. so bad. Cotton needs a picking so bad. Oh, Lordy, help me pick some cotton. Well, you can imagine, you know, fifth grade, I was embarrassed. I was hurt. I was angry. But when I started down the, down the steps, I remembered something that my dad had done for us every morning. Every morning when you when you when you left for school, Daddy would take each of us into the bathroom. We'd have to look at ourselves in the mirror, and he'd stand behind us, looking at us, looking at ourselves in the mirror, and he would say, "I mean, I would say, I'm healthy, I'm happy, I'm beautiful, I'm intelligent, I'm loving, I'm loved, and I'm wise," and he'd make us say it seven times. So that, so that you know, he he was giving up a vision of himself. I always thought it was silly, and we always tried to to, to get out of it. Uh, but as I started down those steps, that is clicked in. I kept, I start saying to myself, I'm healthy, I'm happy, I'm beautiful, I'm intelligent, I'm loving, I'm loved, and I'm wise. And by the time I got to the gymnasium floor, I was fine. And I can remember looking at the teacher, bless her heart, you know, she, I'm sure there was no malintention, but just naiveness. Yeah. Um, I walked out of, the amazing, I walked out of school, I walked home, sat on the stoop in front of the, you know, military housing, <laughs> and there was this big field in front of me, and it was springtime, so the dandelions had bloomed, and it was the most liberating day of my life because I chose the vision of myself versus the vision someone else was getting me. So that 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 was
0: huge. That's a very powerful story and I when I read it in the book, I, it made me weep. I mean, it really did. I was uh crying for multiple reasons. I think I was crying because I just, you know, feel that this is so important for people to hear because the younger generations that weren't around during the civil rights movement, um they need to on on everyone from all different cultures really need to go back and kind of look into it and just see what the challenges were and that and recognize that they're still here today those things and that I, you know, maybe you can guide us because that was my next question. This country, to me right now, is so divided. And, you know, the kind of changes, what kind of changes do you feel that we can make on an individual uh, level to reverse, uh, you know, this division and kind of foster the possibility of unity and and taking, you know, just uh, racism as an example, um, because it's it's not just people that, are obvious racists, there are people that have programmed racism that are not even aware that it's there. And it doesn't mean that they're, you know, horrible criminals or this or that. They're just not even present to the fact that it lives within them. So how can you guide us to start to each look individually for those uh, aspects within ourselves so that we can hopefully really get rid of this one day?
1: Okay, I want to answer that question, but I do want to uh, just a caveat. Uh, I don't think that that story, that defining moment, was really about race. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what it was for me was because everyone goes through that on some level. Everyone goes through exclusion. Yes, racism is institutionalized excuse, uh, uh, exclusion, but but there's there's not a listener. Uh, that's hearing this now that hasn't felt excluded, uh, hurt uh, uh, because of their uniqueness or because of something that was different about them. So I just do want to clarify that because I I wanted to get to the shared vision. If you need a vision of yourself and if you're true to that, you can overcome uh, this stuff. And it does have to be able to come both individually and collectively. But to answer your question more directly, um, I do think people are changing. You know, mm-hmm. you're talking to an eternal optimist, all right,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, unapolog- unapologetically too. Yeah. Um, I travel 50 to 80% and I've traveled all my life. And as I'm, as I've watched this world unfold and been a part of it, I've seen phenomenal progress, but what's happening now with the social media um, revolution is astounding. It is, I mean, it's, the genie is out of the bottle and you can't shove it back in. And the genie is, uh, we are connecting with one another and we're connecting um, without boundaries. And oftentimes we don't even see what the other person looks like. And so a lot of the connecting is around common values or common interests. And these protests that are going on everywhere, I believe there's a, there's a deeper thing going on. Uh, they, I believe they're all connected. I believe people have evolved to the point where they are demanding the right to pursue happiness. People want to connect with one another. They want to be included, be heard. They want to contribute their talents. They want to learn and grow. They want to be recognized. Um, And ultimately, they want to be loved. And, And although it feels like chaos right now, majority of people, wherever I go, China, Brazil, I mean, I'm all over the place the majority of the people not only are good, they're yearning and hungry to live with a sense of purpose and to connect. I think what we're seeing is the old establishment and the old leaders and holding on to the old power structures, both in companies, in, in all institutions, and all nations, all governments. And so right now that feels like the majority and, and, of course, then the extremes. that that kind of uh, align with those leaders, uh, right, left, or doesn't really matter. Um, It's what what we hear about via media. But the majority of people are not like that. And we have evolved. I believe the world has uh, ended as we know it. And what is emerging uh, is the possibility uh, for a new vision, a new story for uh, humankind based on those core transcendent Human values. Uh, people want to liberate the human spirit, and it's everywhere.
0: And How do we align ourselves?
1: Well, I, I do think there's a personal responsibility that's huge because this kind of change starts from the inside out. And so it, it's important that everyone begin to uh, have a dialogue with themselves and listen to themselves and discover what their passion is, uh, and what their core values are. Uh, And then once you begin to understand yourself, both your strengths, your weaknesses, your aspirations, uh, and what's most important to you, your core values, then you're open to begin to understand others. So it goes back to personal vision, personal values, and then um, getting involved once you know that and who do you connect with to help make change happen because staying in your your box is not only um it's it's, it's not only i'm not going to say selfish but it's unfulfilling mm-hmm. and most people are unperspect it's it's it don't get the benefit of what it feels like to work to make things better to impact people's lives uh it's phenomenal i mean you can't you just it, it's it's why people are alive it's why we have communities uh and and to to work on sh- with shared vision and shared values is just you grow you you know you you see things differently and most important you're you're polishing your gifts and liberating your own spirit.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I, I do think it is kind of, I, we should look at it individually. It is kind of being selfish because if not only do we have to go and look within and, and, as you say, really ask those questions to ourselves, but it's going to take each of us to give something to create a better world.
1: It's, and I've seen it. I was a deputy warden, first female deputy warden in a male prison in in Michigan, and we are dreaming of it. We had dream makers. We created a shared vision with the inmates and the and the staff and community volunteers. But it started with self, and then we did it collectively. And what we were able to do with all of that shared energy was phenomenal.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's really powerful the work that you do, and um and, and thank you for clarifying that before. I I, I agree with you. Uh, totally, about what you said i guess um i'm i 'm kind of in this you know racism uh, state of mind again because of what of i'm i 'm reading in the media what 's happening you know with with the the recent a uh, young man who was gunned down in Florida and i I feel like you know here it is i mean this is a horrible, horrible tragedy. And we lost someone, you know, such a young spirit. And it's an opportunity, however, to take this tragedy and kind of really, you know, open up the dialogue about it. And, I, and some, I, you know, I I feel from some of the articles I'm, I'm reading and the way uh, it's played out in a lot of the media, it's just, you know, here come the two sides, here come the battle, here come the arguments, instead yeah. of being together collectively and saying, Hey, you know what? There was uh, a perception and it wasn't a correct perception and someone died for it. So let's get into the conversation about what we need to do to, to look Absolutely. at
1: Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So I guess I mean, that's the conversation why I'm from that. Ha- needs to happen. And we shouldn't we we've got to stop being afraid to have the conversation. Um the the dialogue Dialogue is healing, and uh, I think that's what we all want—is
0: to be healed. Exactly, because this is really an opportunity, you know. But I I feel like no one's talking about the pink elephant in the room. (laughs) Right. It's an right. opportunity to, to for everyone to look inside and say, Hey, listen, you know, we don't want this to happen again. So what do we have to do to shift out of this mindset and, and you know, really start ma- working together as you say, um, collectively. I, I could talk to you for another two hours. We're we're going a little bit over. Is that do you have a, a minute to stay with us or do you have to Yes, I do. Okay, yes. great. So let's go on for a little bit. Um, uh, that's really powerful, though. Everything you're saying, Michelle. Let,
1: let, let me, let me, because I, I didn't want to sound like I was skirting the conversation either.
0: Uh,
1: I'm going to give you an example of where I've seen it. Um, uh, when I joined Herman Miller, I, were, there were no black profession, professionals in the company worldwide. When I left herman miller and women held very few uh, positions of of um management positions when i left thirty five percent of the management was female, and we had four african american vice presidents and it was not um it, it wasn't tokenism uh the vice president of the company worldwide taught uh value and uniqueness which what we called was, was our diversity awareness, valuing everyone's uniqueness. I saw a cultural shift happen very quickly mm. once people got in, but we did use dialogue. We we literally used dialogue in small groups of people and we had honest conversation about what was in our hearts. Um, and so I've seen that shift in the power of when you get together and take the time and have, Find the courage to have the conversation, an authentic conversation uh, about inclusion, and it is about inclusion. Yes. Um, so, so I don't want to skirt that. We need that conversation on all levels. Of data. It speaks to the racism. It speaks to the bullying. It it, it speaks. It, it just speaks to the inhumaneness, you know, that we uh, behaviors that that we have gotten into.
0: Absolutely, and, to, and thank you for expanding on that. Um, when when you're working with either an organization or a corporation, and you're in the process, do you ever come across times when, uh, you know, the client is stopped around making the changes they need to implement, you know, in order to take the corporation going forward? Do you ever experience that, or once you kind of once they kind of get a little taste of um, what you're offering? Uh, you know, is it like a snowball effect? It just keeps going, and it's very positive.
1: No, no, no. Um, <laughs> okay. we should be thinking <laughs> on that part. Oh no, it's not <laughs> no, that easy. No, you, you feel that every day.
0: Yeah, when you when there's feel start, that well, every well.
1: day, and 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 generally, literally do. It's a, it's a roller coaster. You yeah. feel it at at at. Every day, but generally uh, and I found this almost uh universally I and mean, whether it's been an organization or a community, um generally we hit a chasm, and when we hit that wall, uh we have to take I take them off site for a couple of days, and we have to reengage in the vision, re-engage in the values and recommit. Because people are extraordinary, they can do anything. They can. They, people can are, are phenomenally. They, it's we've got all this genius in us individually and collectively. So we have the capacity to create anything. Um, it's just it's it's what, we have to have the vision. We have to have the values. We have to have the courage and the will. And when you hit that wall, it's generally fear. When that chasm, you know, uh, kind of opens up and people are afraid they can't cross it uh, so it it that's when I have to make sure that the leadership team is aligned and we have to recheck ourselves and so um uh, yes always it, it it's the vision lifts you above your fears and it and out of the day-to-day minutiae and so, you know, you, you can look up at that North Star in the middle of that storm and you can say, Oh, that's look, there it is. I can still see it, that's where we're going. You know, and like I said, then the values serve as your rudder. Then you can get through it. And it you will get to a point where your your snowball effect, the momentum will be such that the energy then it's after you come back together and and cross that chasm. Um the momentum it's is phenomenal. That's when it's full of energy and you know, you know the results are just, just like left, right, left, right. They're just positive. A creation is happening all around you.
0: Well, it comes down to, you know, individual again. I mean, we all uh, get stopped and we all, it's usually because we have some kind of fear, about something, and and half the time it's a, it's not even conscious. So we don't know what's preventing us okay. from moving forward, right? So that makes a lot of sense. And that's interesting that you take people off site. That also is uh, brilliant because you, when we do get into the that place, if we don't pause and address the fear, or at least try to uncover what the fear is, then you can't move forward. It's just impossible, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Uh, generally, in the process. You, you you go off a couple of times. Uh, it's it's important and it's taking the time on exactly to, to reflect and to uh re rebond around the uh the vision and the values and, um to make sure that everything's aligned and, and to and to find out where the disconnects are and the course corrections. You know, you have to course correct all the time, but you have to, you know, come to shared agreement on, hey, this is where we kind of went off course. Uh, what do we need to do to get back on course? Uh, and that 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 is discovered uh, and resolved in dialogue.
0: And how long does this process usually take?
1: You know, it, it's different for different organizations, but uh, and the size uh, and the readiness of the organization, mm-hmm. but. That 18 months before you start seeing, I mean, not before, you, you start seeing the results immediately when, when, when everyone understands that the leadership is serious, seriously enough to hear from them and to engage them. Um, there is a, a culture shift that begins relatively early. First, it's suspicion, but then once um, the leadership team starts walking its talk, and starts engaging the organization because they lead the process. I am the catalyst and bring a process. The leadership team leads it, and they engage the people, and it's, it requires a, a, a an abundant, uh, predictable communication uh, system that's both personal and uses every mechanism available to them. So once people begin to see what that, the seriousness of it, there is a cultural shift that begins. So you do start seeing benefits in a couple of months, but eighteen about that eighteen months is, is when you're going to see um, the kind of exponential leap, and then uh, then it becomes a process that needs to be internalized. That this is the way we, we run the business. You know, it's not an event. It's this is the way we run the business. Right uh, so you know it's constantly going back to the vision and making sure the goals are clear, making sure that every team and I mean the team in the mail room uh, uh I don't care where they are they they understand the vision, the values the core goals, and they have core goals in alignment with that uh so they know they know what mail is 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 a priority because they know what the priority goals are for instance, and they're liberated to uh, make improvements. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. I, I can feel and, it. And, and I, I, you know, I love it in communities. So, uh, you know, I, I'm working with uh, Don and Rio de Janeiro right now. And um, I, I, when when people living in adjunct poverty in the favelas, the the shanty towns uh, uh, surrounding Rio can pull together and and dream together what they want their neighborhood to be like and then begin to work uh, uh, to make that vision a reality. I mean, that is just, that's just phenomenal. Uh, So I... I've seen it in communities, and you know, we're doing visioning sessions in the Bayless, Um and I, I'm just amazed.
0: Now, you're also working on a documentary, is that right? I
1: did a documentary. It's called Dream of course. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and it, uh, in, uh, it was underwritten by Banco um and it tells the stories of two communities, that had a dream and brought all the the people together and uh, made that dream come true they revitalized their communities one in the south bronx of uh, new york and one uh division street area um, in chicago uh, to puerto rican communities um and then and and it's they tell how they did it and, and you it's just it's just beautiful um and then a young man mario um mario rocha uh he is mexican and he was serving a 10 years no six yeah 10 years uh in prison for crime he didn't commit uh double murder Hmm. and i did i didn't select we didn't select him because of that selected him because in spite of the situation, his attitude and his spirit just soared, was soaring in this horrible place in you know California prison, maximum security prison. He was writing poetry and writing plays, and people were performing. You know, at Berkeley they were reading his poetry and they were performing his plays all throughout um, uh, California. So we 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 went in while he was still incarcerated, and then eventually. Um, uh, he got a retrial, and uh, and his sentence was overturned, and he's out. Wow. Uh, I know. It, it, but my amazement that, you know, that you can be like Gandhi in those circumstances. Not that, not uh, uh Mandela. Hmm. You know, yes. it, I felt like that when I was, you know, when we, when, when you see him on the film, and he, he tells his story.
0: That's and where can folks get get that? Can they go to your website? Uh,
1: there's a trailer uh, on on DreamMakers. Now my uh, my website is is um, actually DreamMakers.org. I, that, that I have two websites. Okay. DreamMakers.org has uh, I think the trailer's on there, but it, it's on it's on YouTube, but not the whole video, and it hasn't been. Distributed yet we've only used it in community uh,
0: viewings. Mm-hmm. Well, we'd love to see it, and I was going to ask you well, all of this work that you're doing now in Rio. That would be wonderful to watch as well. Are you filming any of that?
1: We filmed a little of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote a book about it in, there, in uh in English, and it was translated into Portuguese last year. And it's Dreammakers: Agents of Transformation. Um, and I interviewed, um, I'm on the board of and partner with an organization called the Center for Digital Inclusion, uh, uh, founded and run by, uh, Rodrigo Baggio, a phenomenal organization. There are over 800 centers and they not only teach technology, um, uh, in these, in these civil um, but they teach, uh, Entrepreneurial skills. They teach uh, uh, social action skills, so that people can um, can uplift their communities. Uh, but uh, so, I interviewed people whose lives have been transformed by being a part of this learning process hmm. with the center for digital inclusion, and then they engage their com- community um, and uh, and. Solve a problem in their community using technology. So that's part of the learning process. Four months into the the curriculum, the that particular class has to identify a, a problem uh, and solve it with technology. And oh, uh, the stories! I mean, one was I, um, uh they didn't know what problem they had. I, if you go into the surveillance. Uh, you'll be amazed. They built their own homes, one on top of another, on top of another. So you really can't see. It's dark, and you can't see beyond. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's truly a ghetto. Yeah, You simply cannot see beyond. And they're in the hills that if you were to open up beyond, they'd be looking at the beautiful ocean. Wow. Uh, I know, I know. They've got the plot. It, it, it's It's amazing. And um, so what these, these young people did is they, because they teach video technology, all sorts of technology. They said, let's just walk around our community and videotape. And so they videotaped a full day of taping and back and watched. And they saw that their community was overridden by rats. They were too close to it to see the problem before videotaping. Then they went on using their their new newly acquired skills and did e research to find out what is the uh, harmful effects of rat infestation in your community. And so they learned, you know, all the devastating things that, can, that that causes. Then they put on a PowerPoint presentation and they said, we've got to inform our community. And so then they uh, they had learned PowerPoint. And they went around and did town hall meetings. They projected up on the five huge buildings and educated the community. They thought they'd get, you know, 40, 50 people, hundreds and hundreds of people came to, to, to each of it. Each favela has from 20 to 40,000 people wow. in it. And there are 600 favelas surrounding Rio.
0: That's just extraordinary. I mean, I'm just blown away by not only the work you do, but to, you know, just hearing about all these wonderful projects and people facing the challenges that they're facing, but they're still rising above it and oh, working amazing. together to create extraordinary results. I can talk to you for another 10 hours. I hope you come back on my, <laughs> my, my program again. Yes. And before, they did solve the problem. They, yeah.
1: they did. They did government uh, e-government research. They went to the municipality, and and they they talked them into um, trash pickup, which was the root of the problem. They had never had trash pickup. They they, um, talked the community into developing these recycling areas that were safe and away from the the drugs and all of that. So, yeah.
0: That's really astounding. I mean, I would so much rather uh, kind of tune in. You know, when anyone is watching a television, that we tune in and see some of these types of stories, which I think are far more inspiring and, and motivating to us than some of the programming, not to be negative, oh, that's oh. currently on there.
1: I <laughs> know. Um, uh, we tried to get Dream on NBC, and I won't name the name, but he was almost as high as you could get. And he saw it, and he was moved by it, but he was very honest to say it's too positive.
0: Well, I, you know, that's that's on my mission statement, <laughs> to be honest with you. That's something I'm going for because um, I really, you know, that's what I'm working to do is to create an entertainment company that does provide that for people so that people, so that we have a choice. Right now, there's not very much of a choice in my opinion. And, um, you know, every day I get inspired by someone and it just lights me up and it makes me want to learn more about you know, what they're working on and, and who they are and how they got there. And I don't think I'm so different from everyone else. And I think if people start seeing those stories and, and uh you know, the same thing's going to happen. So one of the mission statements for me is to to really make that happen for the world and do what I can to make it available to people. And I so um treasure and and I'm so grateful for people like you who come on and speak from the heart and have this wealth of knowledge and experience. And I can, just listening to you, I, I hear your passion. I get it. I feel it. It makes me passionate. So to know that you are out there doing the work that you're doing uh, is going to make me sleep better tonight, I can tell you that.
1: Well, uh, let's get everybody engaged, and I really wish you the best on that. I will send the video. You send me your address to, you. because if I can be, help you in any way with that uh, Mindful entertainment. It would be, you know, it would be my pleasure to
0: help. Well, wonderful. That's listen. That lights me up right there. I would love to work on uh, with you to make that happen. And uh, I really want to thank you, uh, Michelle. Um, It's just been extraordinary today. And and just before we go, what's next for you? you, Is there anything you want to tell the folks about before we leave that you haven't
1: mentioned? my my big dream right now is uh, because I've been so moved uh, with great reawakening with with seeing the potential and the spirit of these folks and they are really at the bottom of, of our society worldwide. So using the World Cup twenty fourteen World Cup and twenty sixteen Olympics, I would like to be a, to serve as a catalyst to help the city of real imagine real 2016 with an emphasis of inclusion and uh, people and community development in surveillance. Wow. All right. And mobilize all um, that energy and mobilize, uh, you know, because it's, it's, they are so creative and they move fast. And so I, I, there's a hunger and there's a readiness there. And then there, there's a, uh, Uh, compelling reason with the games coming. So, yeah, that's, and then to put a spotlight on that for the world.
0: Well, whatever I can do to help you, and I will, whatever kind of show you want to bring me concerning that, you have it. So just know you have an open invitation to come back um, and create any kind of show, and we'll put it on the air together.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Kathy, and thank you for uh, asking me to participate
0: I'm really thrilled. It's been an honor to have you with us today. And I, I thank you so much for bringing your wisdom and light to my program. Um, folks, I uh, let's uh, thank again Michelle Marie Hunt, author of Dream Maker, for being our special guest today. I'm in awe of the amazing work that she does and of how she uses her gifts to help others. And again, you can, uh, should I send them to the
1: Dreammakers Makers? Uh, DreamMakers.org. And my email is Hunt at gmail.
0: And, and if you, that's
1: Mich- Michelle with one
0: L. And sorry to interrupt there, but if you are a corporation or a community in need of um, support from Michelle, I can't think of anyone greater to you know be leading my ship through life than you. You're just extraordinary. So Thank thanks you. again. Michelle, I just want to tell you can hang on with me for a moment if you like. Uh, next week, Robert Barnett and Greg Madelon will be here from Capel Barnett Madelon and Schoenfeld to talk about what you need to know to file. file my tongue is gone now. File your taxes if you have made. Um, your same-sex marriage legal. This is really important information which can save a lot of people time and money. And so I hope you tune in next week to our show on same-sex marriage and taxes. This is Kathy Barrett sending you a virtual hug from behind the curtain. It's so great to have you along with me on this journey. I'll be back next week, and I hope you'll tune in. Peace, everybody.